Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mission and Meaning, a monthly podcast that connects you with the important mission-related learning and work happening around our Sacred Heart community. I'm your host, Ben Su, Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access, and a member of the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy. At the moment, we're in a five-part series that explores the theme of restoration, how it's connected to each of our five Sacred Heart goals, and how restorative practices are already powerfully present in many of our school spaces. This month's guest is Lauren Benjamin. Lauren is our Assistant Principal of Mission and Culture at the Prep, through which she's been working with both educators and students in ways that support the mission and DEIA. At Sacred Heart, Lauren's also been an educator and a fine arts chair at the Prep. Lauren brings a wealth of experiences working with young people and in the arts, and today she'll be sharing about how restorative practices, and specifically circle check-ins, are an essential and sacred practice that's helped her to create spaces that foster Sacred Heart's goal for educating to the building of community as a Christian value. As Ben Sue highlighted in the first episode, The first tier, which lays a foundation for restorative practice, is community building. Tier one is often articulated as harm prevention, and it is, but I would like to offer a reframing of community building as not only a preventative measure, but also as active cultivation. We build a community to proactively cultivate the goodness in each of us that Sally Vance Trimbath describes in episode two. If we are all created for goodness and we are truly to be in right relationship with each other as one human family, how do we put these ideals into practice, especially in a noisy world with societal norms that make it easy for us to separate ourselves from each other? In the classroom and plenty of other spaces, people often think of community building as fluffy or extra. We use community building as an icebreaker or a fun interactive exercise, if we have time. We see it as an additive or a tool in service of other goals. But what if instead we saw the building of community as our central goal? We shouldn't just build community as some kind of optional service level activity. We should build community with the intention of drawing from the deep well of our inherent worth, dignity, and goodness and by doing so, begin to reflect our own image of God's likeness, therefore entering into right relationship with God through the reflections of one another. Scripture tells us that where there are two or more gathered in Jesus' name, God is in the midst of them. Building community is how we access and express God in us and all that is meant for us as God's creation. For all of these reasons, I will share my experiences with restorative practice through the lens of Sacred Heart Goal 4, the building of community as a Christian value. In my 20 years of educating, I've learned that building a community in my class and cultivating a relationship with and between my students is the most important and effective teaching method I have. It does take time, and sometimes the time spent seems like a sacrifice for other important outcomes. But I remind myself that if how we use time is an indicator of the values we hold, then the time spent will always be worth it and in service to all of our shared outcomes. Our values are the centerpiece of all that we hope to accomplish together. It makes complete sense to me why educating towards the building of community 
specifically as a Christian value, is one of our school's larger goals. Naming the building of community as a goal gives us educators the permission to prioritize relationships in our classrooms. I have witnessed my students grow in relationships with themselves, their peers, and their teachers in ways that ripple out to their families, simply by giving space and time to the everyday practice of community building. With our high school students, one of the most important ways we build community is by way of the check-in circle. In my classroom, every class begins with a check-in. On most days, we also end with a check-out. We check in by sitting in a circle. We set the tone in that circle by first giving space for each person to settle into the present and with themselves. Space to ground ourselves. We start with some deep breaths, then closed eyes, and then I offer a few encouragements towards more mindfulness, like noticing your body and where you have tension, and to begin breathing relax into those tense spaces, or a call to find a source of gratitude for the day. Once we have taken a moment of mindful breathing to ground ourselves, I ask everyone to open their eyes if they are ready and to scan the circle with their eyes, noticing every single person they get to share time and space with. I encourage them to embrace the meeting of eyes when it happens. At this point, we have made not only a physical circle, but a sacred circle too. A circle in many indigenous and ancient practices is a symbol of ceremony and ritual. Beginning class with a check-in circle creates a ritual in the class that we all show up for with mutual respect and care for each other. When we enter into shared space and time by first allowing ourselves to be seen and to see each other, it equalizes the room. As an art teacher, many of my classes are mixed grade level so the circle equalizes any perceptions of seniority. As the teacher, I am seen as the authority figure in the room. Sitting in a circle on the same level as my students and checking in with them sends a message that I too am a human being and therefore not any more powerful than them. A circle also does away with the natural hierarchy that's created in a conventional classroom structure with chairs and lines and rows where students orient themselves to the front of the class or the back of the classroom. All of these notions imply positionality that creates divisions among us. Circle practice allows all to come as we are with equal worth and value added to the space. Circle practice allows all to come as we are with equal worth and value added to the space. Everyone's presence and voice are a part of the circle no one's position is greater than another. With all of us, the circle is whole, and there's a held feeling of unity and connection by everyone who is a part of that circle. The circle itself is purposeful and powerful, but there's so much more to uncover and dive into with a check-in. A check-in is a prompt that calls for everyone in the circle to self-reflect and then share with the group, one at a time. I developed this practice when I worked for a violence prevention arts organization for youth. The executive director at the time, Sarah Crowell, was a wonderful mentor of mine, and I learned so much about the careful facilitation of a check-in prompt from her. First of all, it was a standard practice that everyone in the organization was trained. We checked in with students, we checked in with each other at every meeting, and we checked in with parents. 
This organization had such a palpable sense of community, especially because I transitioned into this work from a corporate job. The stark contrast had a huge influence on me, and Sarah Kroll had an impact on my teaching that continues to ripple. I remember sitting in a circle with her, another adult, and about 20 teenagers. She said, human beings are like onions. We have many layers, and today you can decide how many layers you want to peel back. This example was my first lesson in facilitating check-in circles. It's important to employ people's sense of agency in a circle. Everyone has the option and the choice to show as little or as much as they choose to. Checking in requires vulnerability, and everyone has different comfort levels with being vulnerable, especially in front of other people. Vulnerability is also like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the more emotional lifting gets a little bit easier. I still use the onion analogy because it's a simple way to remind people that they have layers or depth and they can choose how deep to go or how much they want to expose themselves. Giving this permission to choose eliminates a sense of judgment amongst the group. Everyone comes to the circle as they are and that is okay. It is welcomed and it is valued. Although, when I facilitate a circle with my students, I don't give them the option to pass. I do this because I want them to develop the capacity to self-reflect and share with others. And passing is an easy way to miss out on that work and isolate yourself from the circle. However, I do allow them to pass temporarily. If they aren't ready to share, that's okay but we go around the circle until we return to them a second or even a third time. At this point, everyone else is shared. So there is an implicit encouragement to share and an implicit responsibility to contribute. This is a subtle way for students to learn that in a community, we are responsible to each other and that everyone has something they can give to the community. On the first day of school, as an orientation to our check-in circles, I always use the same prompt, and we go through three rounds of the same question. The prompt is, if you knew me well, you would know, and then they fill in the blank. I use the onion analogy and encourage them to share whatever they want, which we probably wouldn't know unless we knew them well. After years of doing this, I've noticed that whatever I say first usually sets the tone for students. So I go first. And I start with something very surface or low vulnerability. If you knew me well, you would know I have two cats. Then we proceed around the circle and we hear a lot of sharing about pets or how many siblings they have or maybe a favorite food. This level of sharing isn't very deep, but it's like a warm-up that helps us establish commonality and difference which is important because societal norms force us into establishing a sense of commonality and difference in ways that might not fully acknowledge who we are and what our experiences are as human beings outside of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, religious affiliation, or ability. This is why I do three rounds of this question so that we uncover our humanity and we look beyond the surface and labels of our perceived identities. In the second round, I might say something I'm good at or that I love. If you knew me well, you would know I love music and I make electronic music in my spare time. 
Then naturally, students start sharing about their passions and hobbies. I ride horses, I love musical theater, and I cook with my mom every weekend. Sharing things we love or that we're good at doesn't seem too vulnerable, but it is, especially for teenagers because they're often afraid of being misunderstood or judged by their peers. It levels up the vulnerability scale, but in a way that's accessible and celebratory. Again, we are finding commonalities, differences, and now surprise and curiosity about one another. The third round is where I fully open up the space for unfiltered vulnerability. If you knew me well, you would know my mother died three years ago and I'm still grieving. At this point, I typically notice searching on my student's face. The jump I make from round two to round three is real. And now that students have established a sense of safety in rounds one and two, most if not all share something deeply personal and therefore are completely vulnerable. If you knew me well, you would know I've had three major surgeries in my life. I have dyslexia, my parents are divorced, and we had to put my dog to sleep last week. After round three, everyone feels exposed and probably thinking, oh no, why did I share all of that with them? As a facilitator, I don't leave that vulnerability hanging. I use it. First, I thank them for sharing and I affirm their courage. Then I ask them to reflect on the process we've experienced together. I ask them a series of questions as a visual survey. Then I ask them to draw conclusions from their findings. I ask prompts like, raise your hand if you thought of something to say but decided not to, and hands go up. Raise your hand if you were surprised by something you heard from someone, and hands go up. Raise your hand if you learned something you have in common with someone, hands go up. Raise your hand if you shared something you never imagined sharing on the first day of school, all of the hands go up. Then I say, now what can we conclude from our findings? And this is the part that I love because it shows me how capable and equipped young people are. They respond with all of the right answers. They say things like, sometimes it's hard to share personal things with each other, but if you don't, you would never know how much you are more the same than different, or people aren't who you think they are, or oddly, I feel more connected to everyone. These are the answers that I love to hear and celebrate. Connection shouldn't be thought of as odd. It is our nature and it is always available to us as long as we are able to peel layers of our own onion. Setting the tone and assigning value to our check-in circles on the very first day of school establishes a curiosity and genuine interest in each other moving forward. It lets everyone in the room know that they are part of a community and that their voice and experience matter. The continued practice of this throughout a school year helps students develop habits of heart and mind that they carry with them as character dispositions. Other check-in prompts I like to ask are, what is life teaching you? How are you growing or expanding? What's on your mind and what is in your heart? In what areas are you thriving and in what areas are you surviving? With check-in prompts like these, students learn how to listen with care. Hearing others' stories builds our capacity to empathize with people. In a check-in circle, we also develop a practice of contemplation and self-inquiry as we pause and reflect on the given prompt 
With check-in prompts like these, students learn how to listen with care. Hearing others' stories builds our capacity to empathize with people. In a check-in circle, we also develop a practice of contemplation and self-inquiry. As we pause and reflect on the given prompt, we are assigning meaning to our life experience in a way that brings about more self-awareness, which then spurs growth and positive changes in behavior. Healing also takes place when we check in with each other. Scripture reminds us that we find healing in confession. It's important that we think of confession and healing in multiple ways. We are created to be in a community because it is in a community that we begin to know God and therefore ourselves. It is in a communal space where we learn, grow, heal, and practice loving each other. There are many students that I get to teach all four years and bearing witness to their personal growth over time as reflected in the way that they check in is incredible. I'm always impressed by their courage and their wisdom. Some things you can't teach, but you can create the conditions for the self-knowledge and wisdom that young people carry to come through and shine bright. It has been and will always be my pleasure and privilege to educate to the building of community as a Christian value because of this recognition. Goal four, or building community, puts the other four goals into practice. We develop a sense of relationship with others and through that access personal relationship with God. We establish a love for learning through the developed curiosity of hearing other stories. We work toward justice as a response to social and self-awareness, and we grow in wisdom and freedom with who we are. A just and loving world is our godly inheritance. And it is my firm belief that justice is thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The answer to our prayer is within and among us. What are we waiting for? Let's check in. Thank you, Lauren, for so beautifully sharing about how restorative practices can help students not only to share, but also to actively care for one another and about how the building of community is a way in which we can deepen and express our other Sacred Heart goals. And this concludes another episode of Mission and Meaning. If you have any questions or thoughts, please reach out directly to me, Ben Sue, at bsue at shschools.org or contact the Office of Mission, Culture, and Strategy at omcs at shschools.org.